Reset the podcast is brought to you in association with Liars, the non-alcoholic spirits brand. Whether it's low alcohol or no alcohol, Liars helps you enjoy your classic favourite cocktails. Hello everyone, my name is Suki Thompson. Welcome to Reset, the podcast a place for you to get some inspiration and advice to help you live a more fulfilling work life. I do hope that your journey to feel more connected, more inspired, just a bit more energised starts here. Take a moment now with me to reset. This week, I get to talk about one of my favourite things, Christmas ads. With Pete Markey, one of the most established marketeers and one of my oldest friends in the industry. Pete is the Chief Marketing Officer of the beloved British brand Boots. And in our Reset the Podcast conversation, he talks to me about the path that has led him to his role and the learnings, lessons and laughter he has had along the way. We explore how Pete's authentic self, both in and out of work, has shaped who he is as a leader, a father, and a husband, and discuss the importance that relationships have played throughout this journey. He explains why never standing still and his need for knowledge has been critical to his success, as well as the role of both curiosity and more recently comedy has had in making him the leader he is today. Of course, I couldn't let Pete go without covering the new Boots campaign, Bags of Joy, which airs this week, and the inspiration and insight which sits behind it. We cover creativity, comedy, and Christmas. This is certainly not an episode to be missed. Pete, hello. It's so lovely to see you today. How are you? I'm really great, Suki. I hope you're okay and great to be with you. I'm very well, thank you very much. And, you know, if I reflect on all the clients and how long I've known them, I think you and I have probably known each other and worked with each other almost longer than most, really, because I think it was in the days of more than when I first met you. It was right back. That's about 15 years ago now, isn't it? And in the early days of Oyster Catchers. So no, it's been great to go on, on a quite a journey together over that period of time. Yes. Yeah. In fact, I think it was at Haystack. I think it was before Oyster Catchers. It um, might even have been that. We may be talking the early 2000s and yeah. Yeah, I think we were. Um, what made you go into marketing to begin with? So I did a degree, actually. I went to um, university in Southampton, did a degree all about uh, corporate communication. So it's advertising and uh, marketing, media, journalism, we made videos, even did media law. Um and uh, I actually wanted to go into journalism or PR. When I went away to uni, I was like, yes, I really want to be a journalist. Um, and I kind of found my way into, into marketing. I had to, I made a decision, actually. My then girlfriend, who's now my wife, um, who's two years younger than me, was staying on in Southampton. And I actually got accepted onto the graduate scheme of a, a top PR company in London. And I turned it down. I turned down the PR, the, the graduate scheme, to stay in London to answer phones on the call centre of British Gas just to earn some money to stay in Southampton to be with my girlfriend, who is now my wife. And so I basically gave up my career in PR. And then by getting into British Gas, which um, 
wasn't my dream job to start with, but I got to know some amazing people, moved around the business internally over the space of a year and a half. I found my way into a job in the head office in marketing. And I had this moment of going, I've done marketing. I did that in my degree. So it was all coming back to me. So I got there in a roundabout way, Suki, through uh, making a, a choice for uh, romantic reasons and uh, moving into uh, you know customer service first, then marketing. I found my way and thought, this is it. I absolutely love it. And from then I, I got in a groove of doing different marketing jobs. So um, but the whole journalism writing stuff has been quite helpful because I've, I've always been quite creative in the way I think and, and the way I write. So it's been, I've been able to use that uh, hopefully a little bit through the years as well. Yes, absolutely. And so if we go back to all those years when you had a girlfriend rather than mm. your wife, what's her name? Sarah. Sarah, of course. Um, how would Sarah have described you in those early days when you were working in the call centre? It's a really good question. I was probably a lot a lot less confident than, than I am now, I think, particularly at that stage when you, when you particularly make a decision, when you go, I'm going to turn my back on this thing and I'm going to try something new. It was all uncharted territory. So I was a lot less confident, a lot less certain. And um, it's funny now because I was, what, 22, 23, and my son's now 20 and nearly 21. And he's got more confidence now than actually I have now, you know, several years later. And um, But no, it's definitely, a, a, I think, a confidence challenge in, in my own ability and confidence in, in what I'd be able to do. Um, very much trying to find my place in the world. So I think my wife would say I'm more uh, I'm more at peace with who I am now, probably, and more at peace and more confident now than I was at that, at that stage. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? And I remember you, I remember having the conversation with you when you were at Morvan because there was there was a lot of stuff going on. You had quite a, what I would call a kind of product marketing role. It wasn't a really... Um, strategic role as much as anything it was you know in those days it was very uh, focused on what you could and couldn't do and then it was growing and changing quite a lot um what what was that was there a big moment in your career those earlier days where you went right no I now know I want to become a marketing director so I'm going to have to push myself I'm going to have to move out from this relatively safe environment that I've been in for a while and do something different yeah, it was definitely moving into insurance for more than actually where and I'd previously worked for uh, that, that, those early days of British Gas. I then worked in the AA and, and into a business that was bought by Talk Talk. So I had a sort of telco utilities background and found my way in insurance working for an incredible boss, a guy called Mike Holiday Williams, um, who ended up at Direct Line for a while. He was uh, has been a real inspiration to me. And Mike, Mike really raised the bar for me. He, he I was his head of marketing when I came in. He was a marketing director. So Mike set the bar on what he, his expectations were, but gave me enough freedom to sort of move within that to go, right, what do I want to do next? And one of the things Mike challenged me over was, uh, you know, if you want to get my job, as he was Mike saying, I want you to do an MBA and I want you to do this, this and this. And so I did an MBA over two years, which was quite a, a formative step for me. The, the, the deal was you do the MBA for two years and then we'll look to promote you into the marketing director job because Mike was looking to move to an MD job. Uh, but Mike, being brilliant, got promoted halfway through my MBA. So I basically got, I was halfway through an MBA that was supposed to get me into the marketing director job and got promoted into it halfway through it rather than the end of it. So you have a moment halfway through thinking, have I still got to finish this thing? It was brilliant just working for Mike and just um, uh, seeing how his mind works, just seeing that that sense of excellence and then going and doing actually the same MBA he'd done and looking at, 
marketing through the lens of, of a business as a whole and, and the role marketing plays within a business. So not just marketing existing on its own, but the role marketing plays to drive sales, how important IT is, how important the relationship with HR is, how important strategy is. And it was just a, a really brilliant awakening for me to, you know, actually marketing is this, not just this sales driving vehicle, which is what I'd felt within my early days at Moreland, that we were there just to get the numbers in, but actually it has this massive, powerful value in a business where you can really change things for the better. And that really influenced me when I took on the marketing director job to, at Moreland to go, we can really do something brilliant here that isn't just commercially brilliant in, in sales. Actually, we can do something really powerful to you know, make things better for our customers and deliver a great experience and shape the business's strategy and have an impact on the culture of the business. So suddenly this moment of going, actually, marketing is this awesome, awesome change agent. You know, if we harness it the right way, this is super powerful. So it was a real eye opener. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? I think I felt the same when I did mine. Um, and, and I, you know, looking back on it, I think you've from then, and, and maybe you had it already, you've always been somebody who loves learning. You love studying. You're, you're very focused on training your people, but also the impact on relationships. So I think, you know, of, of the times and the conversations we've had around how do you get the relationships with people working, building teams, that's a, that feels like a very critical part of what you focus on. Yeah, definitely. I, I've always believed that... Um, I guess I worry if, if you stop learning, I, I, I just don't ever want to stand still and get so cemented in what I know in my views that I haven't got room to listen or adapt or learn. Because I think you, you learn, you grow, don't you? You, you hopefully you know, can then impart and enrich and, and help others and drive, drive things forward in, in, a, in a much better way. And I've always believed that for strong teams is that I need to create a space as a leader that gives my team room to grow and, to, and, and room to learn. Um, you know, I'm not there to do my team's job for them. I'm there to create a space for them to be brilliant and for them to learn things for themselves. Um, and, that, and that hopefully for the people that work for me is quite liberating to go. They've got all the room and space to be brilliant, to be recognised for the great work they do, um, but under a framework that we've agreed and worked on uh, you know, together. And the relational side, you're right. I think human relation, I love people. I always have loved people and I found lockdown quite hard because I missed the energy of being around people. But people are brilliant and fascinating and wonderful and not like me. And that's what I find wonderful is, is meeting people that are nothing like me and just finding a different expression or a different perspective on life or business or work or you know, people's different views on projects. And so the relational side is really important. It matters to build really strong relationships with people too get to know them, to work alongside them and to, 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 to have a really strong network to, to tap into. Because I think we, we're all very relational, aren't we? We get, we get things done through relationships, through conversation, through knowing people. Businesses is, I have worked in one business that felt like a machine. I was going to say business isn't a machine. When I worked for Aviva, that felt like a big robotic machine. But most businesses I've worked in have been very relational where things are done because you, you can pick up the phone to talk to someone because you've got an existing relationship there. You can cover that difficult topic with them because you've got equity in the bank of how you've worked together before and and the interest you've taken in each other and how you supported each other. It's it's absolutely critical. Yeah, I mean it's interesting you mentioned Aviva because I think you know if you look through your career, you you've had more time others than that some companies and others, um, you know, they've all been pretty big challenges and they've all been through that kind of time of transition, I think partly because that's been very much the case in financial services and some of these big brands that you've worked in. Um, 
was Aviva one of those moments where you look back on and go, yeah, I probably learned something, but that wasn't that wasn't really pushing my career on. How did you, what, what was going on there? Yeah, so Aviva was fascinating. This was about 2016, and I'd had a couple of years running marketing at the post office, which I'd loved. I got to work for Martin George, who is a, a, one of my heroes and a dear friend, um, and um, someone I'm, I'm very grateful to have met in life. And I had this moment of going, I can keep going at post office for a couple of years, or I can go and you talked about learning a moment ago. So you guys like, right, if I really want to push the boundaries on my learning, I've got headhunted for this job at Aviva, which is to go and run marketing and be very in, in, in for, a, for a part of the UK that was in the digital garage, the tech innovation part, which was in Hoxton Square in London, huge innovation, you know, 90 million investment of marketing and tech. You could wear jeans, uh, you, you got free chocolate every day. And it was just a really cool environment with cool people from Facebook and the, the guy that ran digital had, used to work at EA Games on Call of Duty. It was that kind of really fun environment. Um, and I thought, you know what, actually I can go and learn all about data. They were investing in Adobe. I was going to be involved with rolling that out. I thought this is really good because it's going to stretch my CV, stretch what I can do. Um, but it was a little controversial in the sense that so I went from being a CMO to not being a CMO. I went to become a, a, had a different job title. I worked into another marketing director. So at the time, I think people did look at me slightly strangely going, why have you made this move? But I went, for, I went from running a team of 50 at the post office to running a team of 150 in Aviva with a, with a broader base, but, the, but, the, but it just wasn't that comparable. But you're right, it, it, was, it depends what year you asked me about it, Suki. If you'd <laughs> asked me as, as I just left, I'd be going, I, I'm so glad to see the back of it. But I look back now quite reflective because when I – was interviewed for the job to go into Boots. Quite a lot of that was around what I'd done through the work with MarTech, performance marketing, and Adobe. And that journey all started by going into Aviva, and I was able to continue that TSB. So, yeah, you know, I, I genuinely believe you know things happen for a reason. And actually, Aviva was a really difficult year for me, but all the learning I got from it, I've taken into the next two or three roles, including what it's been central to what I'm doing in Boots. So without Aviva, there wouldn't be Boots. Is this sort of interesting knock-on effect of a, the job I'm loving now, you know, came with some pain in a job that I didn't really enjoy five years ago. And, um, and the challenge, I think, with Aviva was it was a business pulling itself apart. So it was trying to desperately disrupt itself because the market around it was was dis disrupting, uh, being very disruptive. So the view was, let's let's challenge ourselves. Let's almost pull the business apart. Let's, you know, the, the might of this digital garage is going to take on the might of this big corporate beast. And it li literally felt like if you're in the middle of that, you were being ripped apart with a sort of, do I turn left or do I turn right? Um, and I and I just found that just it was just not the best of environments for me. I didn't go you know, from a talking about well-being. I I didn't go home and feel like. You know what? I'm I'm loving being part of this sort of jostling of of positioning of of who's more important and being ripped in the middle of that. And I thought, you know what? I'm just not. This isn't me. This isn't this isn't where I get my energy or or delight from. I love a challenge. I love things that are really difficult. But there were just too many issues and challenges. And I thought I can't. And it wasn't just me. It was others at the time. They're like I can't fix this. And so so I had a call from TSB around an opportunity to go and work there. In marketing, I thought, you know what? That's the values of that business and what that business is about are so akin to what I'm like. So I had a, a moment in time, Suki, going, look, I can plow on with Aviva, which is a, an amazing business full of some wonderful people who I'm still in contact with today, but just wasn't me. Or I can go into a job where I go, that's me. And I made the call to go, look, go, go where 
um, go where I, I, I could find me, you know, and be me and do what I needed to do in, in a really authentic way rather than stick with something where it just wasn't really wasn't really working for me. It's the only time I've had that in my career. It, but as I say, Sue, no, no learning's wasted, is it? And it's, it's helped me a lot, you know, that learning journey. And I think often, actually, by having that learning, you want to appreciate what you have. So, you you know, and we'll talk about TSB in a minute because it was such an extraordinary time. Um, but I think, you know, both from a business perspective, you appreciate what you've got, but you do, as you say, from an emotional perspective. And I think you also recognise what kind of cultures, what kind of environments you really work in. Um, you know, and I, and I feel your time at TSB and, you know, I had a big conversation with Nigel about you going. And um, I, I think for me, that was the moment when I guess... From the outside, I felt that you felt so comfortable in being able to do your job that you could also then look at things like the purpose of the organisation, but more importantly, your purpose. You know, the big DNI agenda, the big Pride of Britain piece. And I, and I wonder what that felt like for you. Is that true? Is that what you felt at the same time, or did that just happen as part of the role? No, it, it was it was amazing because again, some of the seeds for that were at Aviva, so I got very involved with the LGBT network at Aviva before I left, working with Jan Gooding, who is just another one of my heroes, an amazing, amazing human being. And, um, and so Jan Jan asked me to get involved with being uh, one of the, the allies for, and uh, an exec sponsor for the LGBT network. So one of the first questions I got asked in my final interview for TSB was, would you, if, if we gave you this job, would you also be the exec sponsor for the TSB LGBT network? And I was like, absolutely. No problem, please count me in. I'd love to do that. Having an amazing experience doing it at Aviva. And again, having met people with a different lived experience to me, it was really great to challenge my own, challenge myself and, uh, and make sure that I um, uh, you know, was able to really reach out to, to people in, in, in new ways. And so TSB was, was, was amazing because it came with a lot of freedom to come in and, and relook at things, including, as you, as you indicate, Sugi, the brand purpose, the brand platform, uh, everything that we were, we were doing, including how to take on further our diversity, equity, and inclusion agenda, the sponsorship of Pride of Britain, a number of other things we were doing. Um, and it was brilliant, um, but it came with a challenge in the middle of it where our IT went. We did an IT migration that went completely wrong. And, uh, and you know, thankfully, most people probably won't remember that now, but it's around 20, was it 2019? Yes. No, 28, sorry, 2018. <laughs> Um, we migrated from Lloyd Systems to our parent Spanish bank system. And it wasn't the easiest of migration, a very adventurous migration, ambitious at the time. But customers couldn't get into their accounts. There were all sorts of other problems. It was on the BBC News. Our CEO had to go. And we saw our net promoter score go from plus 50 to minus 50 in the space of a few days. And when you've been involved with a brand, at that point I've been in for a you know, year and a half, and you, you see this amazing climb up, and then you just see everything you've done just head in the other direction. Um, and then everything since then to the point I left was all about, this is an amazing business. This is a challenger bank with a fantastic history that's all about um, helping people take greater control of their money, give them greater money confidence to realize more from their life with, with their with able to do their money. How do we bring that brand back to recover brand health, cement it in people's minds again as, as a really brilliant bank and leave the, the, the history of, of that behind us? And we did that by going back in to look at the purpose, doubling down on Pride of Britain that celebrates everyday people. It became about the people of the business and then creating a new brand platform and a new brand identity all around that 
leaving the baggage of the past behind because at that point, all the systems were stable, working really well. And we were able to recover that NPS and our brand uh, metrics and brand health back again, which was a quite a turnaround. So, um, but no, it was another different to Aviva, another real endurance test as a job because um, no one prepares you or gives you a manual on what you do if your your business or your brand comes close to a near-death experience. What do you do? Yes. But the sense of energy and passion in that business that, you know, we're, we're going to turn this around, you know, for the sake of our customers, for the sake of our people, and we're going to make it amazing again, was a powerful running call. I mean, it was late nights, long weekend working. You know, we were literally battling to say, I mean, it's, I, my health probably took a battering with the amount of takeaways I had in the space for a couple <laughs> of months. But, but, it, was a, but it, was, it was just a brilliant for that, that galvanizing people to go, we're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to save this business and we're going to save this brand. Yeah, and and, and I mean, I'd like to talk a little bit more about that because having spoken to some of the other leaders at that time, it was emotionally and mentally very challenging. You said it was quite battering, actually. How did you look after your own kind of well-being resilience at that time in particular? To start with, probably not enough, Suki, to be honest. You tend to, with these challenges, throw yourself in and then realise how you are on coping. And I, I, I it, it spilled over a little bit when... Um, because the hours got a bit crazy. And I remember that, that when I realised that I didn't quite have a handle on it, it was, was at the begin, end of the first week, actually. And I was supposed to take my son to see a play, and my son was doing A-level drama. And I literally, um, I was working, it was a Saturday. No, sorry, it was a Sunday. It was a Sunday. I'd worked the Saturday. And so literally, he had to come in on the train and meet me at London Bridge Station. I bought him a sandwich. We went to the play, watched the first half. I was on calls in the interval, took him into the second half. It finished. I had to bundle him in a cab back to the station to go home on his own and went back to the office to work. At that point, I was thinking, this is just not, this is not sustainable. We've got to find a different way of work, a different way to tackle this, this problem. And so I had a sit down with, with my lead team. We just remapped out the week. We mapped out what we were doing. We mapped out who was doing what and just were able to get much better organized at getting on top of what we were doing. And quite a lot of it at the time was just firefighting on social media. So we got better tools into listening with better insights, um, better responses. We got signed off. So it, it was about organizing around that, that crisis management for a situation. But we, we had crisis management plan. It wasn't we didn't, but we just didn't have one for this scenario yeah. where yeah. Often, often, often a crisis management plan assumes one thing. It's be really clear. When you have like 25, 30, 40, 50, 100 things going wrong at the same time, there's no plan that repairs you for that. Usually it's like, what happens if, if this, this, this system doesn't work? No, no, everything was going wrong simultaneously. Um, and that was the issue. So no, it, it was definitely about being better organized, I think, Suki, and also just knowing when enough was enough, knowing when it was okay to say, I need to go home now, you know, what to, to just, just otherwise I've got nothing left to give tomorrow. I just genuinely, it's got to a point in the day where like I could say you have another two hours and have another pizza, pizza hut, but um, uh, Hawaiian pizza, or I can just go <laughs> home because I just need to, I just need to sleep. I need to rest. And that was true of all of us, including the exec team who were literally, you know, living and breathing it. But, you know, again, trying to get out of working seven days a week, which we did for quite a bit, it's just, just, there's a point where you go, look, it's just, we have to find another way to do this. And that's how we go through it. Yes, yes, yes. So I guess um, then going into COVID and working during COVID, um, did you reflect back on that very challenging time and go, do you know what, I kind of maybe know how to work in, in environments that are very challenging and difficult? Definitely, because of, the, the rhythm we got into when the, the IT problems that happened at TSB was, a, was a, a daily rhythm of calls. And then when COVID hit, and I was still at TSB at the time, we, we 
we we got back into a daily rhythm of calls. And obviously, some of the leadership team had changed. Probably about half had changed. And I was part of the half that that had remained. But the sort of the muscle action was still there to go. Oh, we've done this before. Actually, we've done this sort of daily call rhythm, and we we, we know how to organise ourselves to get around specific projects and initiatives because we had yeah we, we've had a customer war room before. We can do that again. So it gave us. I think the confidence going in of going, we, we, we've done this before, and also knowing the art of the possible, where you go, okay, we need to turn we need to turn a letter around in in a couple of hours. Yeah, we can do that. Yeah, we need to film something and get it on air in in next week. Yeah, we are we okay? I think we could do that. So this sort of almost this sense of confidence of going, you know what? Actually, you know, we, we've we've done this stuff. We know what we're doing. Yeah, we, we've 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 done the kind of wading through treacle, difficult stuff. We can we can do it again now. So it definitely helped the confidence of the business, and it, it was it was unprecedented wasn't it but it did feel like some of it familiar for us in terms of how we managed stuff before yes yes one of the other things you've done the last few years which I think's been a brilliant thing to do and I'd love to hear a little bit more about it is you got together a group of marketeers to uh, work on understanding and using improvised comedy and then came together and and raised some money for charity but I and I came to a couple of the sessions that you did and, and, the, and one of the, the shows, I guess you call it, which was just extraordinary. But the conversations I had with the people that went on that journey with you have for some been quite life changing. Mm-hmm. Um, how did you come up with the idea what, and what inspired you to do it? So the, the seeds of it started when I'd, I'd reached the point where it had been 10 years since I'd done my MBA and I, and I was standing reflecting, queuing up, very boring to start this story, I apologise, I was queuing up <laughs> by my annual rail pass at my local station and I was busy reflecting on, you know what, I don't want to, I had a friend who's doing a doctorate, I was like, I don't want to do that, I want to learn something new. And there was a poster right next to me and it said, come and learn improvised comedy. You know, and, and we have a theatre below the archway, it's called the Archway Theatre, the, the, the archway below the station. So underneath the station is this this mini theatre. <laughs> I thought, you know what, I've got no excuse, because even if I'm late back from work in the evening, it starts at eight, I can just get off the train, hop in and do a lesson. So I thought, you know what, I'm going to give it a go. It also helped because my son is trained to be an actor. And so I thought, actually, it gives me some common ground with him on I'm learning something of what he's learning but without I'm not trying to be him I'm not I've never seen myself as an actor but I'm learning some of his skills so I thought give me something more to share with him mm. I'll teach myself something new and it sounded a bit like quite fun so I went to my first lesson which was fine I crashed and burned a bit because um I, I jumped to you you offer suggestions and I started offering like really crazy suggestions for scenes and you never do that you build up to it you don't just go oh let's be on a spaceship you sort of you start somewhere <laughs> else um, but I really fell in love with it over a, a year I did it. I was going every Wednesday night before lockdown. And it it just was, I could see different bits of my brain firing off compared to what I was using in work. This whole kind of creative side that that I hadn't shut it off because I, I was using creative thinking, but particularly working in a bank, I'd become quite logical in the, yeah. the, the how rational I was. And suddenly I came away with my brain just like, like on fire in a good way at the end of each session. And loving this sense of being with a group of people creating things that were made up on the spot it's improvised comedy is all made up you're given no script you're with at least one other person you can be up to six or more people in a scene where you're just given suggestions or recommendations and you've got games or situations to play with but none of it's scripted you have to make the whole thing up out of your head on the spot in the moment and agree with and support each other to get to uh, to where you get to and so i've been to this journey and i've reached the point of I think it was October um, 2019. 
And I've been doing it for just over a year, year and a half and thought, you know what, I've been on such a learning journey. And whenever I'd spoken to people about it, they were fascinated with what I'd learned. And I thought, okay, there's something in this. So I'd written an article for the Marketing Society. I'd written one for Marketing Week. And I woke up one morning and I thought, well, what if, if it's been good for me, what if other CMOs did it as well? What if we learned together and then did something for charity? What would that be like? And so I decided, because it was the 10th birthday of the Marketing Academy with the wonderful Sherilyn, and I thought, you know what, actually, for the 10th birthday, what if I got 10 CMOs, including me, together? Put that with a group of improvisers who I learn with each week. And the same guy, Ed Pithy, is brilliant. He teaches me. And for, for eight weeks, we, we do a crash course in improvised comedy. Every Tuesday night, we learn uh, 7.30 till 9.30. And we use the McCann uh, uh, worldwide offices at the time to, to learn in. And then in week nine, we put on a show for comic relief. It all sounds really easy. Until the scary moment. Now, thankfully, you were brilliant, Suki, because I sent you a, a, a draft of what I was proposing, and you said, go for it, as did <laughs> Sherilyn, which I really appreciate. And my son, I shared it with him at the time, and he said, go for it as well. But then I had a scary moment when Sherilyn sent the notes out saying, do you have any volunteers? <laughs> and, and when you have, like, two people come back, you're thinking, is this like, am I mad? Am I genuinely mad in doing this? And then it crept up to three, and then I, I wrote a couple more people in, and then... Uh, then other people heard other people were doing it. And gradually it grew, it grew to the 10. And then one person dropped out. And then we had a last minute. So Tony Miller uh, came and was brilliant. It was a last minute replacement and wonderful. Brilliant. And so the group came together. But it was a, it was an amazing learning experience. And, and we've really bonded as a group. We're getting together again just for, for, for some food before Christmas because it's become like a little family. And as you say, Sugi, everyone went on the same learning journey. Well, their own learning journey, but had similar experiences to me of just how it opened their minds up to being more creative and more spontaneous and being able to not just be funny, but more in the moment uh, with what they were doing. And I heard a number of stories from people around how they were just more spontaneous and more present when they were at home you know, with, their, yeah. with their partner or with their kids or even in a, in a work situation. And we laughed and laughed. And that's the other benefit is <laughs> you know, laughter is an amazing thing. And what's lovely when you're learning improvised comedy is you're not, obviously you're not up taking part all the time, probably about... 80% of the time you're watching other people be so, so funny and you laugh. And those eight weeks were probably some of the best I will ever had in my life because it was just joyful, absolutely joyful to laugh with people. And also a great way to get to know people. So the other bit I didn't say is at least half the group I didn't really know before we started. We didn't, and most people didn't know each other. Because you imagine all our CMOs hang out together at the weekend. We don't. We don't all know each other. We bump each other at dinners. And even people you think, you know, you don't know brilliantly. Improv comedy is a great way to suddenly go, removes every barrier. You, you're all in it together. And you immediately get to know each other. And I, I thought it would take weeks, but someone walked away from the first lesson and said to me, they said, you know what, Pete, it feels like we've known each other for years. And, and, and it meant about the whole group. And I was thinking, I did say to him, I thought it would take till week four till we got to that. But week one, first lesson was brilliant. So, so anyway, we put the show on for Comic Relief. We raised £30,000. Uh, I'd love to do it again sometime. That was in, in just before lockdown, March 2020, about a couple of weeks before the country locked down. Amazing experience doing it. Amazing to have done it with that group of people. And, um, and what a journey. And it just shows, I think, as, as, as marketers, just um, oh, as human beings, isn't it? But as marketing directors, there's, there's, there's so much more we can do and there's so much more we can still learn and learn together um, and how important friendship and networks are in life. So it's wonderful. I, I saw Tony, who was in it with me at the DMA Awards judging last week, and it's just lovely to see Tony. I've seen people like, 
Cheryl from uh, Eve Sleep, just a great group of people that have become uh, amazing friends, but um, yeah, really an amazing journey together. So watch this space. Hopefully we'll be back at some point to do some more improv comedy. So I've, I've kept doing lessons on Zoom during lockdown and um, would love to uh, get back up and on a stage at some point and do it all over again. Yeah, do you know what? I think um, when we do the seven needs of well-being and performance, the fourth one is around having a creative outlet. And what we've found, um, interestingly, for, for marketeers on the whole, um, the three ones that they've really struggled with is having a creative outlet, which I, I always think slightly ironic, but your description of what you've done is so true. Just because you're in marketing doesn't necessarily have, means that you've got a completely creative role, because of course you don't. Um the, the other one is around, you know, relationships, of course. You've talked a little bit about that. And the, the third one's been mental health for people. But um, I've been so surprised the number of companies where we talk to quite senior people about having a creative outlet and they go, yeah, well, I'm not really very creative. So, no, I, I, I don't really do anything other than work or, you know, other things. I just don't do anything. And I think I love your story because so many people could do that. And, you know, I, I looked at it and thought, oh, God, I could never be that funny. Um, and I couldn't, I mean, you know, some of them, are Mark, Rokey, I mean, they're hilarious. But, but you, everyone you, has a role, don't great. they? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you were great. And actually, I, I, it's funny, I, I, I thought similar before I started doing it. And then I got asked to do, when I was at TSB, to do a session with the, 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 the top lawyers in the business, to do a session with them on improv comedy. They absolutely loved it and threw themselves into it. But at the start, they were looking at me thinking, this guy's nuts, we can't be creative. And suddenly they were improvising sketches and coming up with ideas. And that was just even basic techniques. So I think within each of us, there's something around being able to just think. And some of it's like almost being kids again, isn't it? It's playing again a little bit, but in a way that just um, you create something wonderful. So, um, so now I'm with you. I think everyone can, whether it's this or something else, having a creative outlet is, is very, very powerful. Yeah, definitely. Um, the Christmas ad for um, retailers is a big, big thing. You're now a Boots, um, which I have to say, I love the Boots brand. And having been at Macmillan as, as trustee for a long time, the relationship with Boots was such a, an important one. I think the role of pharmacists has been incredible. I've spoken to Seb James with Let's Reset. He did a brilliant um, interview with me around the role of Boots, particularly in the last 18 months and, and how you've really embraced the community. So I think the purpose of Boots has shone through uh, and you're very much now leading that journey and in, in changing and evolving, I think, the conversation with customers and, and with society as a whole, because it, it's a beloved brand that needs a little bit more zhuzhing up, doesn't it? Um, where, where are you? Let's talk a bit about the brand, where the brand is, and then let's talk about that. So the brand's in, in strong health on the back of, and I, and I can no way take credit for this, through covid the business has done an amazing job with COVID testing and, and more recently the vaccination program where the stores were open, the digital business grew and Boots team members are at the forefront of helping people at what we all know is a really difficult time for the nation. So our NPS is at this point at the highest it's been, I think, ever probably from the data I've seen. So very strong point and a lot of love for the brand still in the hearts of people in the country today. The, the, the opportunity is around relevance. And I think 
you know, Boots is one of those brands where we've known for you. Everyone's got a story about Boots, which is what's so wonderful about it. I've got, from my cousin working on the photography counter to I met someone last week, had a Boots story. It's their first ever Saturday job. And it's a, there's some amazing stories of how Boots has done that. And as you say, with something like our Macmillan partnership, how we've also touched people's lives when people are grappling with, with, with cancer or the hygiene bank where we help people when they're dealing with, with, with hygiene poverty. Um, Boots is an amazing business. Um, our opportunity is to show the relevance of our brand in, in every aspect of what we do in people's lives today, whether it's helping you know, people that are battling cancer or hygiene poverty or working with the Prince's Trust, or it's the extensive beauty range we've got now with, with 54 plus new beauty brands that we, we, we have the mother care brand in store and online now as well for, for all the work we do for, for parents um, and through to pharmacy, healthcare, well-being and all the things we're involved with there as well. All those things are hugely important in people's lives today. So what we've got to do is show up in a way that communicates how relevant Boots is with the themes in people's lives. So a good example of that would be the campaign we ran in the summer, which was the Feel Good as New campaign. Um, and at the heart of that was we recognised that as people were emerging from lockdown, they wanted to, to quite literally feel good as new again. We've sort of sat in tracky bottoms and... and you know, maybe had fewer haircuts than we'd had. I mean, I hadn't shaved for a while if you're a bloke. And, and we've reached that point of going, actually want to come out and feel amazing again. And Boots over lockdown had done a heck of a lot in terms of, you know, growth in the online business, new beauty brands, wider range on health and well-being, you know, a great work on pharmacy and also our, our, our corporate social responsibility activities. So we thought there's a, a kind of coming together here of a people emerging from lockdown wanting to feel amazing again. And this re-energized boots that has exactly what people need at that moment. So we developed a whole campaign around that. And this was a campaign that didn't exist. So the whole concept for it, the funding for it didn't exist till I walked into the business. So we developed it, myself and the team pitched for the budget to do it from scratch, from the early months of, of myself and the team being formed. So it was brilliant to go, this is quite literally our baby. This is our thing. And this is our launch pad for bringing boots back to people. And the response to that campaign has been brilliant. It was um, Cantar Marketing Weeks out of the month in June 2021. Mark Ritson uh, dropped me a note on LinkedIn and said, I love the work. I want to write an article about it, which um, and Mark's amazing. So I'm really appreciative. I really appreciate Mark for doing that. So we've had great coverage in the trade press, but importantly, it's really worked commercially in terms of shifting the dial on, on brand metrics and, and really helping drive performance to the point where in our quarterly earn, earnings call for Walgreens Boots Alliance last week, the marketing campaign was called out as one of the things I've mentioned for that, of what's really well helped the Boots business alongside many other things. So that's given us a great platform. And so we're going to build on that platform of how do we keep showing the relevance of how Boots shows up. And that includes our Advantage card that's 25 years old next year. So a lot, a lot of uh, thought going into how we make the most of that, how we make the most of Advantage card being a real jewel in the crown for us. And then there is, then there is, and then there is Christmas as well. So it's, um, it is a journey of, of this amazing business with amazing people, um, but we've got to keep showing that in 2021, Boots is more important than ever, um, and has solutions to help you at, at any point in your life. And that's the fascinating thing. Boots, Boots is very much, it's, it's a business that's there for, for your life. You know, every point. It's a, one of those sort of cradle to grave businesses where, at each moment, when, when you're when you're a kid, when you go to university, when you're a new parent, um, and those difficult moments later later in life, or anything you're juggling, and different points of your beauty regime, Boots is there, and there are very few brands that have that role in people's lives. So we've got to um, really both respect that and lean into it more and more. 
Yes. Yeah. So um, the Boots ad is coming out this week um, as we as we have the podcast. Um, can you give us a little bit of an inside track into it? Tell us what's tell us what's been going on. Well, the recognition, I think look, we last year, 2020, none of us had the Christmas we were quite expecting. And so there's a lot of sort of. No, definitely not. It wasn't, was it? I remember I met, I met my parents-in-law and we literally had to throw presents at each other in the boot, between the boots of the car in a car park in a motorway services because we were about to go into different tiers. I'm thinking, this isn't Christmas. Anyway, so this year, more than ever, we all want to have an amazing Christmas. We want to be back with our loved ones again. We want to reconnect with people. We really want it to be a really joyful Christmas where we, we're able to be with each other, to have those tender moments and also to give gifts that bring joy as well. So we've developed a concept with uh, the fantastic team at WPP. We've got an amazing director who's Tom Hooper, who directed The King's, the King's Speech and Les Miserables. Yeah, yeah, yeah brilliant. Um, and um, the concept is around bags of joy. So the idea is we have a central character called Joy, who's played by the fantastic Jenna Coleman, who's been in Victoria and Doctor Who, uh, and is starring in a fantastic new superhero Netflix drama next year and more to come. She was in The Serpent last year, fantastic a- actor. Um, and she plays Joy, and Joy is given a, a bag uh, by her grandmother, which is a bag that, that is full of magic and magical gifts, and magical things happen to Joy as she's out with her family and friends in the run-up to Christmas and on Christmas Day, literally spreading Joy around, and it's a magical boots bag that she has. So it all links back to the magical Joy, the bags of Joy that you can get from boots this Christmas. Um, and we're really excited about it. We've got um, a three-minute version, so an extra long version for social because it's like a little mini-movie, but it works brilliantly in, in both 60 and, and a few 30-second formats we've got, as well as a, a value strand we've got running as well. And a whole campaign themed around Bags of Joy that's uh, in-store and online as well. So, um, so yeah, look, it's, we're, we're really pleased with it. Tom's been amazing to work with. Laurent, who's our creative director at uh, WPP, has been absolutely outstanding. Um, and, yeah, we're, we're hoping that... Uh, we have a we have a great Christmas on the back of it, and um, it's the biggest yeah. Christmas we. Well, it sounds. I mean, it sounds like an epic, and I and I, I the only yeah. thing I wonder because this is what people out you know as an industry we get terribly excited with Christmas ads, and we do spend a lot of money on them. I wonder uh, how you justify that that kind of spend when we've had such a tough time. When there are a lot of people, you know, we talked about who are in poverty. Is it? it how do you justify that? It's a great question. We, we've reflected a lot on the kind of Christmas people want to have. So I think that the way we express the creative is directly in line. The insights led us into where we've got to. So we haven't sort of dreamt this up in a bubble. We've gone, what's the mood of the sentiment of the nation as we go into it? We've also wrapped around the campaign more work with the hygiene bank, where there's chances to donate and get involved and support those most in need at Christmas time as well. And the investment for it has come off the back of the strong summer campaign. So, so marketing is an investment decision. And if you can prove within the business you're in, you're getting returns and marketing is delivering, then it is a sound investment for the business to make. And so therefore, we, we felt confident coming into this that this was a smart investment. We've also got great historical data that shows us the importance of Christmas for Boots. So that plus the summer has given us really good confidence on what we're looking to do next. Um, but it is, for me, it's all around a narrative of Boots for Christmas, which is bigger than bigger than what I've just described. So it's bags of joy for everyone it's bags of joy for friends and family but it's also the joy we can give by helping those most in need at christmas which is all about the ongoing activity hygiene back again particularly at christmas we've had a big uh, fundraising push with Macmillan over the last couple of weeks 
and uh, a lot planned coming up with the Prince's Trust through the end of this year into next year. So I think it's continuing to push on every front, I think, really, is what matters for the business. And that that's central to what the brand's about. If we are about healthier, happier lives, then that will manifest itself, not just in how we communicate, but how we show up, the, the very fabric of everything we do in, in, in the lives of people and communities right across the UK. Yeah, absolutely. And what will your Christmas look like, Pete? What are you doing for Christmas? Have you got a plan yet? Um, so it's early days, but I'm hoping we get a really good combination of, of seeing my family who are up in Bedford sort of direction and uh, my in-laws who are in the West Country. Um, and it'd be lovely having my son's away, uh, trained to be an actor, as I mentioned a moment ago. So he's, he'll be back for Christmas. He's in his final year. So it'd be lovely to get all the family back together again. And um, and last year, I was cruelly robbed of going to see a pantomime, Suki. That was my, oh. my one moment as we, we as we were just going into a different tier. I lived, to, the town next door to me was in a different tier. So because we moved into a, was a higher tier at the time, I couldn't go and see, I couldn't go and see Dame Dolly in pantomime. And so I'm going to, I'm going to be going, I'll be first in line to Good. see the pantomime this year so that's 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 definitely it i didn't know you were such a pan i absolutely love pantomime like it's one of my favorite favorite things to do forever so i didn't know you were a pantomime fiend i I think you can't beat it it's funny my kids have gone through a stage of going loved it as kids went to the teenage years and went why are we still going to this and i've started to come out the other side of like this is great isn't it they're they're, they're doing this thing again it's so yes wonderful so Hopefully this year we'll all get a chance to experience that again. Brilliant. And and then just very finally, um, you know, this is around looking after your well-being um, to increase your performance. What do you do? Uh, and you're probably even more aware of it now you're at Boots because it's very much at the heart of the brand. What do you do to look after your own well-being? One of the, obviously the whole lockdown experience was, was, was a shock to all of us, wasn't it? And I think I had a moment of, um, I'd often say to my wife before we entered lockdown, a few months before, I remember saying, I'm too busy to really, I mean, I, I did exercise, but I was too busy to do lots of exercise. And suddenly I had all this time back where I wasn't commuting. I thought, I've got two choices. I either don't use it and I have an extra line, or I go, you know what, I get out of bed exactly the same time and use my commuting time to exercise. And I found it I've liberating to get up in the morning. Uh, I bought a... Uh, a peloton style bike that means i can do you know exercise classes and i've absolutely loved it feeling good and healthy on the back of that and i know that's more it's physical health but but certainly helped me mentally in the morning to be more with it more switched on and also just healthier whereas i had got into some slightly bad habits in my pre-lockdown days of of, um, popping out for a cheeky flapjack bar and a cup of coffee in the afternoon when i was at tsb and you it, it had slightly, slightly to, to creep up on me a bit, Suki. Outside that, I still keeping doing improv comedy has been great to give me that creative outlet. And so I do a lesson once a week, actually, on a Monday night. And, I, and there's two or three of us get together on a Saturday for an hour just to have a laugh and try out some different material with each other. We've done a few different ones. We've done a audio only, where obviously you switch the cameras off. We've done one long form storytelling where we had to create our own village and we're all different characters in an <laughs> archer's style village and we and i've loved that as well and um and, and outside that just finding stuff that j- j- just gives me energy like I, mean, I love i love reading i've read a lot of books over the last year um and uh, and just watching films and just being with family and friends is just just great and just knowing when to switch off i think that's one of the things i've still grapple with a bit of knowing when to draw a line and when to switch off. But I've, I've found moments where I can go, it's okay now, I can 
draw a line and let's go and you know, have this do this other thing and you know, come back or do do that task a bit later on but set, set some more boundaries around what i do brilliant oh pete thank you so much for sharing your your career your life what motivates you um and and actually your enduring marriage with sarah that's been uh, that's been a long time as well hasn't it you have I, I was thinking about what words do i think about when i think about you and loyalty and fun and respect and kind of innovative thinking are, are all of those words that I really think about you but also you're very and I mean this in the loveliest way you're just a really nice person and often in our industry people don't make time they you know everyone's so busy you always make time for people you've been amazingly supportive of me and my businesses um, and I know you're massively supportive of all your teams, which is why you've got such the reputation you've had. So thank you for spending some time today with me, Pete. And I wish you a very happy Christmas when it comes around to it. And I look forward to seeing you very soon. Yeah, thanks again, Suki. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed Reset the Podcast, I'd love it if you would forward it to your work colleagues, friends and family. Reset the Podcast is a Let's Reset and Advertising Week global production. Executive producer is Richard Larson, with me, Suki Thompson. Thanks to our sponsor, Liars Non-Alcoholic Spirits and voiceover artist, Talitha Penny. Music provided by Audio Network.